Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you're with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. Here, Buck Sexton, with you from uh, deep, deep behind liberal lines here in uh, New York City. Thank you very much for for joining. 844-900-BUCK. 844-900-2825. If you would like to call in, uh, we are in a, a new a new and improved Freedom Hut today here in New York City. Very exciting. Uh, but if for some reason, you know, you have, I don't know, some strange noises happen or any. It's just because we're in a new space. We'll get we'll get all the stuff worked out. I actually did a I did a show recently, a TV show as a guest. And the loudest fire alarm noise I, I th- imaginable came on right in the middle. It was a live show. And it just came on and we all had to act like, OK, well, there's that. So. I'm sure everything today will be good to go, though. Our new space is beautiful, and we are so excited about it. Uh, 844-900-BUCK if you want to call in. Uh, Some topics that I wanted to get to uh, include the U.N. General Assembly meeting here in New York City, uh, North Korea, which ties into that. Uh, We'll try to get to some updates on the terror investigation in the U.K. from that bombing last week of of the subway and we also have a uh, police acquittal that led to violent protests in st louis over the weekend a california sanctuary state bill has gone through also you have a judge saying that the administration can't deny grants for uh, sanctuary cities or a, a judge saying that about the administration I don't think many of you watch the emmys maybe later on in the show i'll get to it because i think there are a couple of Worthwhile takeaways that we can get to from that. And uh, also the uh, Sean Spicer moment there and then some other stuff. But North Korea will be a large part of the discussion today. We'll get into DACA and we have we have much more to discuss than I will have time for. But the good news is I'll be with you here every day as usual in the Freedom Hut as we as we do. Uh, Big story today, at least if you look at the way the media is treating it, I. I don't know how much of this is considered even news. It's really just the narrative uh, asserting itself. Remember, one of our mantras here in the Freedom Hut is that news is a narrative, that it's not really a compilation of the things that happen throughout the uh, throughout the day, um, that news is something that a bunch of journalists, a bunch of people in a room somewhere or in some cases disparate places all across the country and all over the world just connecting to each other via internet and phone and they decide what you need to know the world's a very big place a lot going on so there's all kinds of choices that can be made even the most rigorously uh, objective news sources are going to fall into bias it's just a question of degree but as we know from our from the never trump hate trump anti-republican 
everything is now white supremacy media, right? And, and I'll get into the white supremacist discussion later. I wrote about that today on thehill.com. I think the words are the, the words are very important. The words are showing us what the uh, political strategy is from the left. Uh, but with all of that said, Hillary Clinton became a major news story today. And you might be wondering, well, hold on a second, Buck. We have deferred action for childhood arrivals to talk about and and very important parts of the Trump agenda that we need to discuss. And I would say to you, I know. But this is setting the table for everything else. The U.N. is interesting in the sense that it allows us to talk about policy around the world and North Korea specifically. And so we will do that. But. There's nothing that will come out of the of the U.N. meetings this week that will shock any of you. I could tell you right now, more or less what will be said. A lot of, yeah, we need to come together as an international community. We need to face threats together, united as one, blah, blah, et cetera, et cetera, yada, yada. But we'll get there. For now, you've got Hillary Clinton as a major news item. Now, how, how can that be, you say? Well, she is giving liberals right now what they really, really want. I had been wondering, what is her next act? You know, her and Bill, hey, don't forget about me. I'm still here. You know, I'm still running around, you know, shaking shaking hands and grabbing ladies close, holding them tight for America, you know, grabbing them. Uh, and, you know, he's he's doing his thing. And she is out there pushing this book, What Happened. And you might say to yourself, um, you know, okay, hold on a second. Why do we have to hear from Hillary Clinton now? I mean, she she lost again. What is there that's new? What is there that's interesting? The, the election just happened. And, and put aside for a moment that usually you would think uh, a, a would have been or close to being president would give some deference to the person that had just bested her in the uh, election. Or, I don't know, maybe that's asking too much. Maybe asking for uh, good sportsmanship and, and fair play even after the contest, especially from a Democrat, that might just be a bit naive. I get that. You're probably saying, yeah, Buck, that's, that's real naive. And Bill's like, I swear it's naive. But I would like to think that that's possible. Instead, you have Hillary with this big book tour, and she's worth over $100 million because influence peddling is a lucrative business as we found out over the course of the Clinton Foundation. And I've told uh, my Freedom Hut colleagues here, Ty and Amy, that we have to keep an eye on as soon as we have the numbers for the Clinton Foundation. I want to make them public. I want to know what really happened with fundraising for this last year, because it has to be public. And that's going to be a hard thing for them to fake. But we'll get there. Soon, as soon as those filings are out, I'll be, I'll be diving into them like an accountant the week before tax day. Like, oh, this is exciting. So I'm looking I'm looking forward to it. But Hillary's a big story all of a sudden. Not all of a sudden, but big story today. Number one story I see on CNN. Number one story on NewYorkPost.com. Getting a lot of attention. And I've been wondering, okay, she's not a good sport. Sour grape. She's whiny. She's she's a uh, she's lost twice, a two time loser here. What does she have to offer? Why don't Democrats just force her to the side? And then, of course, it hits. Of course, I know what it is. We all know what it is. It couldn't be any more clear now that she's out there speaking. So I want to get back to the question. Mm -hmm. Would you completely rule out 
questioning the legitimacy of this election if, if we learn that the Russian interference in the election is even deeper than we know now. No, I would not. I, I would say... You're not going to rule it out. No, I wouldn't rule it out, but I also... So what are the means, like, this politics. is totally unprecedented it's, in every way. It is. What would be the means to challenge it if you thought it should be there, challenged? Basically, I don't believe there are. There are scholars, academics who have arguments that it would be, but I don't, I, I don't think they're on strong ground. But people are making those arguments. She's not going to rule that out, everybody. Hillary Clinton right now, despite losing twice, despite everything that we have seen up to this point, the damaged Clinton brand, the admissions that she is not a talented politician, that she lacks charisma, that people uh, aren't learning anything new from her. What happened to her? Like, despite all of that, what she offers now is what. The left wants more than anything else in the country. So she has real value in the moment, and she recognizes that what she offers them is the dream, the promise of negating Trump's victory. Now, you can say, Buck, that will never happen. There's no mechanism in place for it. There's no constitutional process for it. And I'd say, yeah, you're right. That's all true. Everything that, that one could say about this that points out that this is nonsensical and that this is disingenuous and quite honestly, at least politically, uh, deeply destructive, if not more than just politically. I mean, for a, a former presidential candidate to be saying that maybe we shouldn't trust the last election. This is the same woman who before the election was getting the media all fired up and in a frenzy about the possibility that Donald Trump wouldn't accept the election results. And now here we are on the other side with a Trump victory and Hillary's the one. And this has been the case for some time, having a difficult time accepting the election results. Well, why do we have to hear this now? Because they can use everything that Hillary and her book tour. What is the purpose of her book tour? It's not really to sell books. It's not to set the record straight. This is how Hillary becomes relevant. This book tour, the release of the book and the media coverage that comes from it allows the left to relitigate the 2016 election within a year of the election happening, not just to relitigate what happened, what happened, but to actually look back and try to find a way or to hope for a way to make it as though it never happened, to erase the election of President Trump. That's what this is really about. Maybe it's all just a uh, a ruse. Maybe this is Hillary needs attention. and But you can see how this sets up. You can see why there would be a desire to use this right now for the purposes of the Democratic Party and to resurrect the Russia collusion narrative, which has been somewhat quiet recently. There's been some stuff here and there, but nothing really. It has not been Russia collusion DEFCON 1 over at MSNBC or CNN for a few for a few weeks now. It's been relatively quiet in comparison to what we'd seen in the past. Hillary allows them to just say, did you hear what Hillary said about this? Did you see what Hillary's position on this Russia collusion stuff is? So that's what's happening now. 
Now we're back to, is Donald Trump really the president? A lot of Democrats want to believe that he's not. And they don't just, it, it, not my president for them, which was a slogan. I remember here in New York City seeing the protest, not my president, not my president. You know, walking down the streets. I actually walked through one of those protests. I was just, just trying to get home. It was rainy. And I was like, that's right, hippies. It's raining. Deal with it. But it's raining, and, and I'm hearing the, you know, not my president, not my president. And I kind of want to stop and say, well, you know what? T- technically, if, if I want to be technical about it, those of you at least who are U.S. citizens in this crowd, which anybody's guess, but technically he is your president. But they don't just mean it rhetorically. They're looking for a way to make it in actuality. It, it's not enough. To hold up for Democrats. And this is what Hillary's book tour, this is what, what happened? This is what it's all about at the end. It's not enough to hold out the promise to the Democrat leftist base that at some point in the future, they may bring a a close to the Trump presidency in a premature fashion. They might get impeachment. They might get removed from office. What, whether you believe that's possible or not and i think if trump builds the wall and falls through on a few things it's uh, ne- never going to happen because he's going to maintain control of the house and the senate but discussion for another time but let's just say you believe that and i think a lot of people on the left do believe it that's not enough they don't just want to be told that trump won't finish out his term as president they really want to be told that trump was in fact never the president This is a delusion. Democrats are engaged in a widespread mass delusion about the truth of the presidency, the election and the reality of politics in America today. And the delusion is something that makes them feel safe and warm. They like it. He was never the president. He didn't win 62 million votes or whatever it was in the end. It was it was all it was Facebook ads by the Russians. That's the latest story you're hearing. Oh, because that changed the election. This stuff would be pathetic if it wasn't also so dangerous. Hillary was warning us before she lost the election about the dangers of undermining our core institutions, undermining our democracy, because it was virtue signaling. She was so certain she would win. And now here we are, the former secretary of state, former first lady, twice would-be president. And she's more or less telling us that, yeah, I, I, I could see uh, maybe we need to just contest this whole election victory thing for Trump. Maybe it was all a ruse. Maybe it was all a lie. It was fake. He calls it fake news. She's calling him a fake president. This is not normal in our discourse. Um, a little more on Hillary. Then I do want to get into uh, North Korea, these protests in St. Louis, and... If you stay with me for the whole show at the end, I'll tell you about why naps are good and you should tell your boss that naps are good. So, I mean, there's something for everybody today. I don't think the press did their job in this election. Our press, which is such an essential part of our country, our democracy, has to take some hard look at how it covered what was the first reality TV candidate. She's going to win anyway. So let's cover the other guy because he's a lot more fun. I mean, she, Buck Saxon, back with you now. Hillary is also delusional in her own way. The media went to the mat for her. The media were so so deep in the tank they needed to have oxygen brought in. I mean, it's crazy. 
how much the media loved Hillary Clinton. The only person that I can remember in my lifetime the media has loved more than Hillary Clinton was Barack Obama, but he wasn't a factor in this election. She thinks that it has to be, it must be someone else's fault. Well, we've got uh, Ron up in Alaska on KENI. Hey, Ron, what's going on? Hey, Buck. It's your old buddy, Ron, from up in the wilderness. <laughs> hey, man, uh, how you doing? Uh, just fine. I want to tell you again, we love you up here, buddy. Thank you. I love I love my Alaskan listeners, and i got to tell you, I love the state of Alaska. It's really the most beautiful place I've ever been. It's right up there with Hawaii, actually. You're the big dog, and uh, anyway... We had a community party out in the wilderness the other day, and it was wonderful. Even even mentioned your name uh, over there. We had great food provided by me from my garden, and and some nice steaks and lots of drinks. All right. Well, tell me that sounds awesome, man. I'll, I'll invite me to the next one. But tell me about your your Hillary thoughts, because I know that's what you got you calling in initially. Okay. Now Hillary is a three time loser. If you want to count Secretary of State and two failed bids for president. You're just saying she uh, she lost as Secretary of State because she was terrible. She was terrible. I mean, well, uh, there's never been one. Can I can I say this, Ron? I I uh, I remember when asked the State Department official the uh, uh, spokespersons for the State Department were asked to n- name Hillary accomplishments. There was nothing, and it's not because I thought it was unfair. People gave the spokespersons a rough time. It's because there were no accomplishments, right? I mean, you know, if you ask somebody, when was the last time, if you, you know, you ask the manager of a baseball team, when was the last time you guys won, and they haven't won since he's been the manager, you know, that's a tough question, right? So I I think that was on Hillary. What she needs to do is run for curator for the Barack Obama Presidential Library. She'll know all the information about how the two of them uh, made some major errors in this country. Well, I don't know. I think she thinks that everybody else made all the errors, Ron. But look, man, yeah, stay stay yeah. warm up, stay warm up north, brother. Good to have you call in in Shields High. Thank you very much, Ron. Uh, we also another Alaska. Girl. We got John up in Alaska on KENI. Hey, John. Hey, Buck. You got the nicest people who answer the phone out of anybody. <laughs> Thank you. The Freedom Hut team is amazing. Ty and Amy they, are, they are the best. Anyway, I'm really worried about a an exchange for DACA for a money for a wall. You know. If we give 800,000 people uh, citizenship and they can bring in 25 people each, that could be 20 million. I'm going to get to this. I'm really glad you're calling about it, John. And, 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 and what I wanted to mention on this, remember, we just had two major hurricanes. You wouldn't believe what my family has gone, gone on to deal with on trying to drive out of the path of the storm and find a place to stay. And uh, as I talked about before, I've already got financing, private financing. I can build. A John, we'll hold you through. Hold them through. We got to go to a break here. Oh wait, no, I'm sorry. Wait, do, how much time do I have? No, no, yeah, John, we've only got about ten seconds. I'll let you finish on the flip side of the break. All right, because I want to hear what you're saying, uh, and then we'll get into uh, the DACA discussion. So, uh, team eight four four nine hundred buck eight four four nine hundred two eight two five. We will talk about uh, about DACA, about North Korea, and much more after this break. Buck Sexton here with you in the Freedom Hut. I. Can't believe what I'm seeing about these uh, these lawyers that are White White House lawyers for uh, Trump and some of his people having a conversation, and a, a New York Times reporter is apparently in earshot, and they're discussing sensitive matters of of the case. Gentlemen, OPSEC, Operational Security, come on! 
this is this is JV stuff. Uh, assuming that it's true, what I'm reading here. I mean, I can see some of the some of the uh, anti-Trump resistance networks are just loving. They're loving every second of this. They're like, oh, great. We can hear we can hear what the enemy in this case, the duly elected president of the United States and his legal team. Uh, they can hear what they're up to. Loose lips, loose lips. They they still can sink ships. OK, I, I just can't imagine over over lunch in D.C. All anyone does in D.C. is sit around over lunch and listen to other people talking about stuff. I mean, this is like the oldest game in town. It's one of the reasons why I don't miss being out of that place. All right, we had John up in Alaska, KENI. John, I want to let you finish what you were saying about, because we're going to talk DACA here. You were making a point about yeah, DACA and the hurricanes. Yeah, Go ahead. White noise generators. Those guys should be wearing white noise generators. We had them during the Cold War. Keep people from listening. Well, they definitely shouldn't be having a conversation about their clients and attorney-client privilege no. material in an open, uh, open uh, seating area where there are people that can literally hear them who work for the press. But what I was saying is, why do we need to exchange these DACA people for money for building the wall when I have put together a program to build it with private money and government leases. One of them is a FEMA lease. We, If it had been built by George W. Bush, as I originally proposed, we would have saved $106 billion. $106 billion, B, billion. Uh, what we paid out in housing the FEMA refugees from Katrina. We now have Harvey and uh, Irma. It, so you're saying that there, there are costs good. associated with taking care of illegals specifically affected by hurricanes, natural disasters, et cetera. Is that right? Yes. All right, John, so thank you very family. much. I appreciate you staying with us and holding on. But we, we got a little bit of a sound of the audio sounds a little right. Yeah, it sounded like we had a white noise machine going on in the background. Did John, John may have turned on his white noise machine. Hey, look, you could ever I mean, he's talking to us. But, you know, you don't want. What if NPR is trying to get in on that and mic him up? You know, you don't know. He's talking to one radio show, doesn't want to talk to another. All right, uh, DACA. Very, very important issue uh, right now. Uh, this is where the administration, I, I, I'm worried, because this is point of no return stuff if they go down the uh, wrong the wrong direction on this. And so far, what I'm seeing does, does not look good. As I was saying to you last week, the, you know, gnashing of teeth, rending of garments, freaking out about this is premature and that nothing has happened yet. There is no deal until there's a deal. It's like real estate in New York City. Until you have a legally binding contract, you got nothing. The landlord may be like, you know, well, uh, sure, this is yours. But until you have that piece of paper where you can go to court and it's enforceable, you got nothing. You know, all of a sudden, the landlord's second cousin shows up, decides that he wants the apartment and you're out of luck. Trust me, that's happened to me. So here we are now looking at DACA, and I, I thought there was a really... So this is deferred action for childhood arrivals. The, sing, the single most important policy item that the Trump administration has to deal with now, putting aside national security for a moment, which we will be getting into in depth in the second hour. Uh, because taxes are going to go up and down. Tax reform would be great. But taxes are going to go up and down. If you get Democrats that come in, they're going to raise them. Republicans are lower. Democrats will raise them. No matter how much good economic benefit you see from tax reform, no matter what Trump does, no matter what the Republican. Co- and that's assuming they can get their act together. It's a big assumption. Um, so no matter what, there will be the possibility of switching back whatever Trump gets on taxes. That is just there. That is real. 
DACA, though, when you're talking about amnesty, amnesty is forever. Amnesty is never going away. It has it has never gone away. It's not going to go away. And it would only be harder in the future to change the ramifications. And I'm not even talking about what is supposed to happen from an amnesty. I'm talking about the second order effects, the the corollary effects, the stuff that comes along with an amnesty, the additional stuff that they're going to pretend is not going to happen. And I'm here to tell you it absolutely will. You had uh, Senator Tom Cotton on the Sunday shows and lots, lots of guys making the rounds of the Sunday shows this weekend. Um, and as I now both have a TV and cable, which is the first time in like five or six years, I think that that's really been the case. I occasionally will watch a little bit of what's on the Sunday shows. And for the political class, for the D.C. Beltway community, this sets the and journalists, therefore, this sets the agenda for the week. You already get a sense of what the topics are going to be based on what they're talking about on Sunday. You in General Assembly, if that was a big thing, but I'll get to the General Assembly. I want to tell you things about North Korea that you won't hear. I would I would be willing to bet you will not hear from any other host on any other show Tonight, probably tomorrow, I don't, I don't know when you'd hear it, but I want to tell you some things about North Korea that you should know. Because to understand what I will tell you about North Korea is to have a better understanding of why the measures we're taking, the approach that we have, is doomed to failure. But you have to stay with me until the next hour, and I, I will get there. Back to DACA. That was a little bit of a, a for, foreshadowing, if you will, a tease, as we say in the business. On DACA, you have Cotton, Senator Cotton out there talking about this. And this was one of those moments where I went, oh, wow, he gets it. And then I went, oh, no, oh, no. What, that's not what's supposed to happen. Here is what he said about DACA. It's in the eye of the beholder. It feels particularly when it comes to, uh, it comes to this debate on the, on the right side of the spectrum here. What is your definition of amnesty? Well, amnesty is giving legal status to people who came here illegally. Yes. But the, the core debate is not over so what you, is... you believe this is amnesty for, what, for DACA? Well, if you pass the, the so-called DREAM Act, it'll be the single biggest amnesty in the history of the United States. Yes. Even bigger than the 1986 amnesty, which Ronald right. Reagan said was his biggest mistake in office. True. But the core debate... It, it's in the eye of the... But the core debate here has never been about legal status for these 700,000 or so people. It's been, how are we going to control the negative side effects of that, which is undercutting American jobs and wages. My legislation, the Raise Act, would do that. And deterring more illegal immigration. Wait, wait, wait. What just happened there? Wait a minute. Hold hold on a second. So so Senator Cotton, he's right on all the facts. Yes, it would be the biggest amnesty because of what it would be DACA and then DAPA. Deferred action for parents of arrivals, and it would be anyone who claims to be covered under DACA. How do you prove they're not? You got to go to court. How long do you think that backlog is going to take? How many immigration judges do you think are going to be favorably disposed towards anybody who says they're covered under DACA? A lot. How many different activist groups are going to push for illegals to get through DACA, no matter what their background and standing is, vis a vis the realities of what deferred action for childhood arrivals demands? Or supposedly demands. See, there's what the law will say, and then there's what will happen. We have a lot of immigration laws right now. We have immigration laws that say, for example, if you are not in the country legally through the immigration system, you are subject to deportation and are supposed to be deported. That is what the law says 
right now. No dispute about that. If we tell people that they are able to stay here permanently, assuming they meet certain criteria, guess what will happen? There will be holes in the enforcement of those criteria. There will be people that claim to be covered who are clearly not. But there will be a backlog and it will take time and resources. And all the while, there will be political pressure. So whatever they're telling you the number is for DACA, it's a fraction of what the real number is for DACA. I assure you. Cotton gets that. Okay, great. We got a guy who's very, uh, very sober minded about the size of the amnesty. And we also have an individual who understands that this is going to be (laughs) it's going to be much bigger than we had anticipated beforehand. And that Ronald Reagan knew that this was one of the great regrets of his presidency. So everything's making sense. And then he goes to. So the real problem is. What do we do to mitigate the effects? What he's saying is DACA is going to happen, everybody. And that's what I go. Vroom, vroom. You know, that's when the the what do you, the record player comes off and everyone at the party looks up. They're like, wait a second. Vroom. What just happened there? Oh, so the Republicans, including somebody like Cotton, who's a who's a pretty conservative Republican, I think, by all accounts, at least he's very hawkish on national security issues. Um. The Republicans are already deciding what the deal is going to be for amnesty. You're you're already picking up on this, right? There's already a, a discussion about what the amnesty will look like. Um, so that's that's where I want I want to come back, come back and look at this and say, hold on a second, you have gotten nothing in exchange for this. You are letting Democrats get everything that they want, and you're demanding nothing in turn. This shouldn't be allowed to happen. This isn't good negotiating. This isn't good deal making. Telling me there's going to be border security measures is is a is honestly it's laughable. No wall, but border security measures. How how tough do we think those border security measures are really going to be? We're going to pay for more border patrol agents. Okay, that's nice. That's helpful. It's good. That's not going to be enough. No one on the border patrol really thinks that if there were just a few more agents, they'd be able. We're asking the impossible. Why not a wall? Oh, well, Democrats won't do a wall. Well, if Democrats want DACA so badly, maybe we should demand a wall. Oh, the White House has already said that's not going to happen. Well, what's the purpose of the negotiation then? If DACA is not used as leverage to get more lasting immigration security, what are we even talking about? It's, we're just doing a phased amnesty, and everything else is going to be negotiable after the fact. Because as I was saying, amnesty is permanent. It's forever. If Trump lets this happen, just like it happened to Reagan. So I understand this is a complicated issue. It's difficult. And I think that even some of the most honest and honorable public servants that are trying to deal with the issue of immigration are oftentimes uh, weighed down by what is possible versus what they want to do. But with Trump, I don't know what he thinks he's going to do here. If DACA happens, it will be massive. It will be the beginning of a mass amnesty. It will take years and years before anybody even figures it out. And based on what I'm hearing right now, we get nothing. We get nothing. Additional border security measures. That's that's a joke. That's preposterous. That's not going to do anything here. 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. Finish up the conversation on 
immigration here. And then we will get into a North Korea in the second hour and maybe third hour. We'll do some talk about the Emmys and the St. Louis protests and much more. So stay with me. All right, you get the idea. That was, now you should know this, that was a, a bunch of protesters slash activists. I don't really know what the difference between an activist and a protester is, right? I mean, isn't a protester an activist? And Right, an activist is just a, somebody, or a protester is an activist that shows up with a sign somewhere, right? I mean, it's okay. Although I know a lot of people in Hollywood are like, I'm an activist for, you know, abandoned, uh, abandoned chihuahuas or whatever, right? I mean, they're activists ever, which, you know, Chihuahuas need love too. I love Chihuahuas, but they're active as showing up, and you think, well, where are they doing that? Is that at a Trump rally? Oh no! Oh no! 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 That was Nancy Pelosi being uh, being confronted. This is from the Washington Post about her DACA talks with Trump. Nancy Pelosi being confronted about her DACA talks with Trump. Hold on a second. What do you mean? I thought that there was this big victory. I thought that there was nothing but Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. You know, Schumer last week was like, Trump likes me. I mean, this was all going the way the Democrats want. Oh, oh, I see. And this is what you need to take away from this. For undocumented youth, which is a, a nonsense term that not even the Associated Press will call them undocumented immigrants. They will. Th- what they've done is they've depersonalized illegal immigrants to make it people in the country illegally. That's what they say now. So it's not that the individual hasn't done anything wrong. They're just in the country illegally. But even the Associated Press won't say undocumented immigrant because it's a nonsense term. They're documented. They just don't have the documents they want. So to call them undocumented, it's not even nonsense. It's a lie. It's wrong. But these activists show up and they're demanding a clean bill as in, They are demanding legalization from the Democrats because it is owed to them. You see, that's what they've been told. That's what these activists have said. So, again, there's there's like immigration activists who take all the stuff very seriously. And then there's, you know, activists for poodles, Labradors, Chihuahuas, et cetera, et cetera, that are in Hollywood and that, you know, they're an activist like on the weekends only. But there are activists in the case of immigration that are really well funded and well organized and this is a big issue this is a big issue so they want this to be a clean bill there cannot be a negotiation over this because the whole point they're trying to make is that this isn't an amnesty this is what has been uh, told to illegals for a long remember illegals show up at state of the union addresses illegals protest openly say hey i'm here illegally but I should be allowed to stay because I say so. This is the politics of the tantrum because I say so, because this is the way it has to be or, or else I'm going to I'm going to be upset. I'm going to cry I'm and make you feel bad. There, there's not. And this speaks very poorly to what the future is going to look like in this country after an amnesty. There is not 
a sense of gratitude coming out of these activist groups about a what looks like a forthcoming amnesty. Oh, no, 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 no. They are owed this. They're in the country illegally. Their parents or they themselves, depends on what we're talking about, broke U.S. immigration law. They have most likely been breaking laws in addition to that because of their illegal status, using fake Social Security numbers, document fraud, etc., etc. But they're owed this. They're not even going to be thankful. They are spiteful towards those who have not given it to them, and they will be completely lacking in gratitude to the political system and to the country that does, in fact, give them amnesty if it happens. That is what you're seeing from these activists. As if Nancy Pelosi's not, like, left-wing enough. They're telling her that how this has to go. I mean, they're making demands of, of Pelosi about how she can negotiate their amnesty. You know, this would be like me showing up, right, with my lawyer there, and I'm trying to get a plea bargain, and they're like, all right, Buck, it's going to be... You know, for for uh, re- releasing, I'm, I'm really on like a dog kick today. For like re- for releasing all those all those Labradors that were in the kennel. You know, we're, we're not going to give you any jail time. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm going to plead guilty. I'm not pleading guilty to anything. I didn't do anything. You are lucky I released all those Labradors. You're you're lucky that I am an, am an activist. That you know. Well, wait a second. I thought we're making a deal on this immigration issue. What they're saying is that there's no deal making here. Right? There's no deal making at all. In fact, what they're saying is that they are owed amnesty. Thank you so much for being here with me in the Freedom Hunt. 844-900-BUCK if you want to call in. 844-900-2825. We're going to get into the UN General Assembly visit and uh, North Korea talks and the latest news in North Korea in just a moment. First, I want to take a couple of calls. We have uh, Scott up in Massachusetts. Hey, Scott, what's going on? Yes, hello, Mr. Sexton. Uh, I want to say that Trump has sold out the American people. There's no Mexico wall, no infrastructure, no jobs, no health care, no nothing. Uh, in my opinion, Trump has uh, caved into Charles Schumer, Adam Schiff, Bernie Sanders, Dianne Feinstein, and especially George Soros. In other words, Trump has surrendered to these Jewish communists, and Trump has appeased America's Zionist-occupied government. All right, all right. Bad, 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 bad. Uh, no, no. <laughs> no, come on. Uh, I, don't even, I don't even know what he's talking about. I was uh, all right. All right, we had to, we had to bail on the on that on that guy. Why do people call in and say crazy things? Uh, all right, California. We have somebody who's a, usually a podcast listener. Who's hopefully not going to say anything. We have to drop off the air. Uh, how you doing? Hey, Ann, what's up? I'm doing just fine, Buck. I want to congratulate you on your wonderful show. I've been listening to you since Real News, and I really appreciate you. Oh, thank you so much. That means so, a lot. Here, here, let me go down the list of what you've done, gone over so far in the program. First of all, Hillary, an embarrassment to all women capable of critical thought, right? Okay, secondly, the DACA debacle. Uh, DACA will become law, and the elitists will maintain their lifestyle, one predicated on a permanent revolving door of unskilled, uninformed, uneducated, underclass that are just squabbling with each other for the crumbs that fall from, currently from their master's table. And we're, we're talking Democrats as their masters. Okay, fine. Trump. Well, I think what's going to happen here is uh, Trump's not going to do tax reform, and there's going to be no wall, and he's going to blame it all on the legislature, 
and then Trump and the Republicans are going to be pink-flipped. Trump is going to take his lumps and go on a book, sto- book tour called Trump Takes His Lumps. Hmm. Well, that is quite, that is quite hmm. a prediction, quite a series of predictions, really. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I think that what we've seen so far about... I don't about... want to... <laughs> I don't want to be the dark cloud, <laughs> but no, I un- he, look, he, I understand he, the, and I understand the frustration with, uh, what, what can we say about, uh, the major policy items other than it is early still, uh, that the Trump agenda items to, to say that he hasn't, um, that he hasn't delivered is I think a little bit unfair. I think it took Obama before Obamacare happened, maybe, Something like 18 months, I think. Is that about? Yeah, 18 months. So that was and that was, uh, yeah, people would say, well, we'll tarp and the stimulus. And but Obama came in during an economic uh, crisis and took advantage of that. And that was bipartisan. Republicans, too, were like, we got to shore up the banks. Right. So that that's not really a fair gauge of what Obama's specific policy agenda was and how quickly it was implemented. So I, I right. think it's a little it's a little early to hit the panic button on Trump's not doing what he said he would do. I am concerned about DACA because there's no rewrite. Right. There's no there's no second. There's no second swing. There's no mulligan for you golfers out there. Uh, th- yeah. That's that's going to be it. Uh, if, in fact, there's a problem, uh, if, if if DACA goes through, if amnesty is made, uh, well, if it is legislated. Then it is done, and that is what we have. And that will have real effects, I think, as well on the midterms uh, bef- without taking into account anything else. So, Anne, I am concerned, well, but I am not panicked. Go. Uh, if, if, when DACA comes in, and I predict it will, uh, the Republicans are gone. If that happens, what are Republicans going to say? They didn't. They didn't exactly. manage to do Obamacare. They can always blame other Republicans and say, well, I, I voted to repeal and replace Obamacare, but... At the end of the day, it is results we care about. It's not just gestures from our elected officials. They didn't get it done. And I think people are going to stay home. I, I think you have a big problem. And if Trump abandons the wall, even some of his most, and Ann, thank you so much for your kind words and thank you for calling in. Even if uh, all else being equal, if Trump abandons the wall, some of his most stalwart defenders have already said there's no coming back from that because it's too clear, a literally and figuratively, a defining line. Uh, there's no way for the Trump administration to spin. You know what? There's not actually going to be a wall. You had people chanting, build a wall, Trump chanting, build a wall, saying it would be big and beautiful. We'll see. We have to give this some time and we will see uh, where it goes. All right. I want to talk to you about uh, the latest with North Korea. Why don't we switch gears here and go into a buck brief, please? You are now entering the Freedom Hut Tactical Operations Center. All sensitive programs must be kept strictly need-to-know. Team Buck is cleared. Roger that. And ready for the Buck Brief. BBC reporting here. North Korea says sanctions will accelerate nuclear program. Here's the latest. North Korea has warned that more sanctions and pressure will only make it accelerate its nuclear program in a strongly worded statement. Pyongyang called a new set of U.N. sanctions the most vicious, unethical, and inhumane act of hostility. Meanwhile, the presence of the U.S. and China committed to maximizing pressure on the North through vigorous enforcement of U.N. resolutions, and the U.S. and South Korea earlier carried out joint military exercises. 
I don't want to spend as much time today on on the policy aspects of this as as I think we have in the past, because much of it sounds repetitive because it is repetitive. You're going to hear other hosts. You're going to hear other uh, shows and, and news networks. They're going to be talking about how, oh, this these sanctions are crushing and the sanctions are the key and pressure on China and nowhere is the echo chamber effect, I think, more apparent and in some ways more powerful when you're talking about a policy discussion than in foreign policy. Because it's a bunch of people that think they're much smarter than they are in the first place who are the ones that are making the decisions and, and deciding what the conventional wisdom is. So the conventional wisdom is decided usually by a lot of arrogant people who have made a lot of mistakes in the past and everybody else wants to be respected by those people who are those making the conventional wisdom in foreign policy. So they tend to go along with it because by the time you know that you were right and they were wrong, so much time has often passed that nobody remembers that you were right in the first place. Foreign policy horizons tend to be very long. Right? The, the problem sets are complicated and it lends itself to a perception over reality paradigm. What I mean here is, if people think you're smart on foreign policy, even if you're a total clown and have messed up time and time again in the past, it's as though you're smart on foreign policy because no one's really ever held accountable. No one ever really is forced to reckon with their bad decision making in, in the past. Uh, North Korea is an example of decades of conventional wisdom being, if not wrong, at least insufficient. I think that's fair to say insufficient foreign policy wisdom. They have not managed to stop the nuclear program. They have not managed to uh, find a way to lessen the bellicose attitude of the North Koreans, of the North Korean regime. And I think the lack of understanding of what really goes on in North Korea is one of the biggest impediments we have to better decision making. And perhaps even preparations for a future that none of us want to think about, but we certainly need to take seriously, which is a, a possible military confrontation with North Korea. If you haven't read it, uh, I would very much recommend to you a book uh, called Escape from Camp 14. Escape from Camp 14 is about one of the... Uh, defectors from North Korea who are often written about in the media. But he's different. His name is uh, Shin Dong-hyuk. Shin, I will call him, is different because he was born in what is a political prison camp in North Korea. And he recounts in brutal, excruciating detail in this book, which was just written a few years ago, what goes on inside this camp? Now, North Korea's prison camps are a very sensitive topic. We are not really able to talk about them in diplomatic negotiations because it drives them insane. They they go they go bonkers. You can see them uh, there. There are plenty of pictures of them because they're huge. Some of them are 25 miles by 10 miles or 30 miles by 15 miles. I mean, you're talking about large areas and an estimated 150 to 200,000 people, as of the writing of the book, were held in these prison camps, which are just the North Korean version of the gulag. Uh, 
Uh, for those of you who haven't read it, I also recommend the Gulag Archipelago, but that's Soviet and Siberia, and we'll talk about that another day. But the Gulag, as in a system of prison camps, specifically intended to break and demoralize and abuse and dehumanize political opponents of the regime, exists in North Korea. And when you get into the details from escape, in this book, Escape from Camp 14, you, you, I think, get a much clearer sense of what we really face in North Korea than what is conveyed through your standard news article or editorial about how they're a hermit kingdom and there's all these sanctions and they're being so aggressive militarily. And when you understand what the North Korean Kim dynasty will do to its own people, that it will uh, not just allow, but in fact, encourage mass starvation, uh, that it will use hunger as a weapon, that it will turn family members against family members. And in these prison camps, teach young children to inform on their parents, to inform on each other, including brothers and sisters, to execute people for the smallest crime and to be complicit in their execution insofar as informing on them is rewarded. The dehumanization that exists in these camps, in these uh, political prison camps in North Korea, is hard to read about. It is the slow and brutal murder of hundreds of thousands of people over, 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 well, at this point, millions of people over decades. And it's still happening right now. There are stories that are contained in Escape from Camp 14 that will haunt you, that will stay with you, including Shin watching his own mother executed and knowing that he informed on her and that that led to her execution. Because that's the way that the North Korean regime treats anybody who is not just themselves a political liability, but the descendant of, a family member of, someone that the Kim dynasty considers a political opponent, liability, problem. Who knows? There are no courts. There are no records. We don't even really know the full scope and scale of these camps. We don't know how many people are just taken out and executed before they could ever make it to the camps. But we do know that they starve children. We do know that prison guards engage in a systematic rape of young women. And we do know that the executions take place as a means of keeping everyone in these camps in constant fear. And these are North Koreans that have been convicted of no crime, not that they have due process or courts, but in some cases are just the children of or family members of those who are believed to have been a problem for the state. A couple of hundred thousand of them right now sitting in camps. Uh, the stories you read on Escape from Camp 14, and I, I really recommend that you get a copy of the book if you have the time and the inclination, will give you a sense of really how depraved and how evil this state of North Korea is, but it'll also give you a sense of the degree of brainwashing that there are prison guards who would watch over this and partake in it is jaw-dropping and deeply disturbing, that the inhumanity is so systemic and widespread and is hidden from a vast majority of the North Korean people who aren't allowed to ask any questions and don't know much about the outside world. They've been getting more in recent years because of the breakdown in the cordon. They've been 
seeing South Korean DVDs. They have some access to news that is smuggled in in one way or another or cultural artifacts and things from the outside world. But when a country is willing to do to its own people what happens in these political camps, you have to take seriously that a country is capable of doing anything. We are told that North Korea is a rational actor model, which is kind of a fancy way of saying Kim Jong-un doesn't want to die. Well, Saddam didn't want to die either. The decision-making that comes from people who are as sadistic and brutal as Kim Jong-un is unpredictable by its nature. And I just wish there was more of a focus uh, educating all of us uh, in the media about just what we're dealing with in North Korea instead of it constantly being an effort to scoreboard which side of the political aisle has tougher sanctions. Sanctions are not going to break this regime. Not going to happen. And in fact, based on that BBC report I just told you about, North Korea is saying they are doubling down, that sanctions, in fact, are just going to make them angrier, more unpredictable, and more dangerous. Anyway, Escape from Camp 14, if you haven't read it, highly recommend it. Uh, A bit more on the UN and uh, and North Korea when we come back. Stay with me. Was the president's fire and fury remark an empty threat? It was not an empty threat. What we were doing was being responsible. Where North Korea is being irresponsible and reckless, we were being responsible by trying to use every diplomatic possibility that we could possibly do. We've pretty much exhausted all the things that we could do at the Security Council at this point. Now, I said yesterday, I'm perfectly happy kicking this over to General Mattis because he has plenty of military options. If North Korea keeps on with this reckless behavior, if the United States has to defend itself or defend its allies in any way, North Korea will be destroyed. That is the U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, saying that North Korea will be destroyed if, in fact, we have to defend ourselves or our allies. So uh, this is the kind of rhetoric we hear when, when it comes to North Korea. Now, U.N. is uh, having its General Assembly meeting this week in New York City. Uh, we'll get into more North Korea, by the way, with... Uh, Michael Malice will be joining us in just a few minutes. Uh, he's written a book on Kim Jong-il, and, and he'll be talking to us about what he thinks when it comes to all this back and forth and diplomacy. I think he, I'm guessing he's going to share, you know, share my point of view that very unlikely this is going to do all that much. The status quo, which in some way is untenable, which is North Korea getting more advanced missiles, more destructive nuclear capability, uh, that's just going to keep on happening. So... Where does that lead us? Well, we'll see. Uh, but the, the U.N. General Assembly, why does the U.N. have to be in New York City? It doesn't make any sense on, on so many levels. And I, I know that the in this this is sure this is in part driven by me complaining about all the traffic and, and the complete mess that they make this city into when they're here. The General Assembly of the United Nations, you know, you got all these different heads of state who are here and they are. They all get a motorcade, from what I can see. And, you know, I, I'm sorry, but the, the, the prime minister of Liechtenstein or whatever, he can walk. I just think he can walk. I don't think he needs uh, a, a, a battalion of, of Marines to take him to the United Nations. And, okay, fine, it's not the Marines, but you know what I'm saying. It's, you know, got NYPD, they got their own security details, and Liechtenstein, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but you, you get a lot of this. They shut down whole blocks and... We have uh, gridlock all across the city. If it's really about 
the discussions and the diplomacy and all that. If it's not about heads of state wanting to, uh, you know, pop into Cipriani for their favorite bowl of uh, of pasta and, and to spend spend their whatever country they're in, their taxpayers' dollars uh, on the fancy restaurants here in the city. If it's really just about the process and everything else, why can't we find, you know, we should find a, an underserved international airport somewhere in this country with a much less populous area, and we can build a giant, you know, the, the biggest, ugliest federal building imaginable there. And that'll be our new U.N. headquarters. And all the different bureaucrats are like, oh, Buck, I'm so excited to come to the General Assembly. It's like, oh, fantastic. Uh, like, they can come hang out there instead of messing up the works here in my hometown and my city. We just we just don't need them here. I know a lot of you are like, well, they're not coming to my town. They're not my problem. I'm like, well, you know, m- maybe they should be. You think, you think the, U- the U.N. is annoying. Trust me, buddy. They're ruining my day. Hey, team. Um, so we are back here, and actually we might have Michael joining a bit later. I have some uh, some breaking news here that I want to get to. Um, oh, boy. All right. Let, let me let me start out. So this, this is a, this is a shift, but it's because this is just happening when we're on here, and I see they're, they're all ready for this. I mentioned earlier in the show a few things that uh, I'm seeing – I'm seeing the matrix right now. I'm seeing how it all comes together. Okay. Um, here's what we've got. You have a couple of lawyers talking about some stuff, including, uh, what's this guy who's, is his name? Yeah, Cobb. Is it Ty Cobb? Isn't that the baseball player? Cobb, whatever his name is. So you got these lawyers talking, they're overheard. So that gets people in the uh, reporting in the reporting world, all all excited about things. You've got Hillary out there giving statements where she's saying more openly than she ever has before. And I, I'm just I'm reviewing because I'm about to give you some breaking news, but I want to I want to make sure we're in the right context, the right frame of mind to discuss this breaking news because this I think this all is coordinated. This is all together, and I'll make my case to you as to why in just a moment. You got Hillary saying that the election should be she's at least open to the possibility of it being discounted. She's open to the possibility that the election was not was not real, didn't really happen. And getting a lot of very favorable coverage for her for her book with all this. And then you have this bombshell dropping just in time, just in time for the various anti-Trump networks to pick it up and run with it as far and as fast as possible. You've got on the Drudge Report right now, headline Manafort wiretapped. Here is what we know. Paul Manafort, of course, was the Trump campaign chairman for, uh, for the Trump campaign back until, what, July? So he was running the campaign. And here's what CNN is reporting as of today. Exclusive U.S. government wiretap former Trump campaign chairman. And here's what they say. U.S. investigators wiretap former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort under secret court orders before and after the election, sources tell CNN. An extraordinary step involving a high-ranking campaign official now at the center of the Russia meddling probe. The government snooping continued into early this year, including a period when Manafort was known to talk to President Donald Trump. 
Okay, let's just take stock of this for a moment, shall we? If this is true, it would mean that the sitting president's uh, communications were were being wiretapped when it comes to discussions with Paul Manafort. If this report is true, that there was a court order that would give him uh, or that, that gave the authorities full access to what the president of the United States was saying to Manafort. I mean, this is some pretty astonishing stuff, but there's more. There's more. This courtesy of uh, Maggie Haberman, who is one of the key anti-Trump reporters over at the New York Times. Here's what she she tweeted out. Mueller told Manafort to expect an indictment. So you have a couple of big revelations right now on all this Russia collusion stuff. You have and this is this is all just breaking. It's it, it, on all the different TV channels. Around them, rah, rah, rah. I mean, everyone's all freaking out about this. They're saying that. And th- based on the sources they have and these reports, and I, I tend to think that these are these reports are accurate just because it would be so damaging for the papers and news organizations putting it out there to have it wrong. But they're saying that Manafort was wiretapped, including conversations with Trump. And they are saying that Mueller has already told Manafort to expect an indictment. They're going after him. They've they've got him on something. Now, I have said to you all along during this whole special counsel process that the overwhelming, overwhelming uh, impetus will be for there to will be for prosecutions of some kind of someone for something. They're going to get people. They have to get people, right? Because, I mean, what's the whole purpose of this otherwise? You don't have a special counsel without a prosecution, right? It's like a birthday party without the birthday boy, right? You can't do that. Or birthday girl. You know, you can't do that. You got to have some purpose. You've got to have a finale. You've got to have the final act. You know, why are we sitting here? Now, that's not the way that it should be. The actual mandate of the Justice Department is to do justice. It's not to justify the overtime hours of investigators and bureaucrats and prosecutors. If there's no indictment at the end, there's no indictment at the end. What does justice demand here? And unfortunately, that's not the way that it often works. Mueller is under a lot of pressure. All of his people are under a lot of pressure to get a result. They're looking for a result. Make no mistake about it. And the result is... Someone from Trump's inner circle, someone's got to get taken down. And I've always thought that it was going to be Manafort because all this, all these international connections. And now, do I think they have Manafort on some illegal matter of Russian collusion? I do not. I don't know. But I don't think so. I don't think they do. My guess, if in fact this report, remember, just a review, they're saying Manafort was under a wiretap before and after the election, and that Trump, I'm sorry, and that Mueller, (laughs) Trump told him to expect charges. That would be weird. Mueller told him to expect charges. So, yeah, Mueller told him to expect charges. That means that he's going to be facing some pretty tough times ahead. 
Now, I think that it's likely, and now I'm, I'm extrapolating. I, I'm analyzing, surmising. Some of you be like, Buck, you're guessing. Okay, maybe I'm guessing, but I'm hopefully informed guessing that Manafort is going to get jammed up. That was the terminology they used to use in the NYPD. They'd be like, hey, you hear about, you hear about that guy? He got, he got jammed up. And that would usually, you know, that's, that's a nice way of saying, you know, things that you'd have to, you know, it's a bad day for you. And if you don't want to bleep out words, you'd just be like, yeah, he got, he got jammed up. So I think they got him on some, my guess, tax evasion. That would be the classic, right? Some, because uh, they're, they're, they've already said they're looking for bank accounts and they, they raided his house. Here's what the New York Times reported on this earlier today. Paul J. Manafort was in bed early one morning in July when federal agents bearing a search warrant picked the lock on his front door and raided his Virginia home. They took binders stuffed with documents and copied his computer files, looking for evidence that Mr. Manafort, President Trump's former campaign chairman, set up secret offshore bank accounts. They even photographed the expensive suits in his closet. The special counsel, Robert Mueller, then followed the House search with a warning. His prosecutors told Mr. Manafort they planned to indict him, said two people close to the investigation. That is not an early morning knock at the door that any of us want to get. That is not good. Uh, So... Based on everything that I'm seeing here, my guess is that there's some financial impropriety that they've got him on. And the way they may be justifying this is that they're trying to use that. They they may try to use that financial impropriety as leverage. And others have already raised this as a possibility. Uh, as, as leverage to get him to roll and talk more about Trump and Russia and all this stuff. The problem that I think they're ultimately going to run into is that there was no collusion with Russia to change the course of the election. And maybe an even bigger problem, or at least an additional problem, is it's not even clear that if there was some collusion that that's a crime. And if it's not a crime, there's no action that can be taken. And so despite what Hillary Clinton was telling you earlier today, or was saying earlier today on various networks, there there is no way to revisit it. What's done is done. Isn't in the, in the NFL, even if they make a terrible call, if the game is called over, it's over, right? That's it. There's no, it's not, oh, well, we review this after the fact and the other. Nope. Whoever wins at the end of the game is who wins at the end of the game. That's, for better or for worse, that's the way it is in the election, unless there's a criminal charge. And even if there was a criminal charge against Trump himself, which I know some of you are like, Buck, stop it, or I'm going to change the change the station. I'm like, no, 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 I'm just, just hear me out. Even if there was a criminal charge against Trump, you'd have President Pence. That's why you got a vice president. Okay. I mean, I'm not saying that that's like a good thing and there wouldn't be ramifications, but you still wouldn't have President Hillary. What do you mean? No, you still would not have President Hillary. It doesn't matter. There's no way to revisit that and change it. You can't go back. There's no time machine. Uh, But this is a very interesting day, isn't it? Do you think that are, are we really to believe that this is all a coincidence, that these stories breaking at this time? that the various news networks are able to run with it the same day that Hillary's out there talking about revisiting the result of the election. And these, uh, this reporter saying that he overheard Trump lawyers over the weekend and, and the other report that came in that there are people in the White House who are afraid. This was also reported over the weekend. They're afraid that their colleagues may be wearing a wire 
for Mueller. Now, the only reason you'd be wearing a wire is if you were a cooperating witness against somebody else, right? I mean, I would assume, unless you wanted to volunteer to to jam up your buddies or the other people in the White House, which may, maybe the animosity is so high between some of these officials, they'd be willing to do that. But all of these stories are coming together to create a perception that there is an imminent major event coming with the uh, Russia collusion investigation. And we shall see if it, if, if my hunch here is right. And again, I'm assuming that the reporting that we've had so far on Manafort is, is accurate. If my hunch here is right, that Manafort faces charges unrelated to Russia collusion, but that just make him look shady and sketchy. Uh, the media won't care that he isn't prosecuted for anything that has to do with Russia collusion. They're just going to say they haven't gotten. Yeah, they got him. He's dirty. He's bad. But they just haven't gotten to the truth yet of Russia collusion. So it's a big win for them. It's a big win for the resistance, the anti-Trump propaganda apparatus. If we just get to a point where they can say they got someone. And that's really I think that's what they're looking for here. I think that that's that's going to be the big uh, the big reveal. You know, that'll be the moment when the, they pull back the curtains and we see and there on stage will be Paul Manafort facing charges for some you know financial impropriety. I just I've always said this to you and, and I reiterate it. Russia collusion isn't something I've been worried about as an actual possibility ever because it doesn't make any sense. It wasn't going to work. It doesn't it, it wouldn't even be a good way to if you did think this was possible, it wouldn't even be a good way to cheat in the elections. I'm trying to say it, it's it would be sort of like somebody saying to me, I'm really going crazy with analogies today. I know uh, it'd be sort of like someone saying to me, well, you know, did you cheat off of that person during the math test? And I'd say, well, well of course, I didn't cheat off that person. He's even worse at math than I am. That's not an ethical defense, but it's a defense of some kind right it, it, it is reasonable if i know that somebody else is worse than i am at math i'm not going to cheat off them on the math test and if i'm trying to find a way to bring down the clinton apparatus during an election and, and to change the results of the election working with some russian intermediaries to put what is it by the way to put fake stories on facebook that was the big thing to get information that was damaging about Hillary Clinton, Democrats weren't going to care about that. It wasn't going to matter. So I don't even know what the collusion would be if there was collusion, which makes me think that there wouldn't be collusion because it makes no sense. And I know you're like, Buck, I'm getting dizzy. Me too, actually, just trying to follow all this stuff. But I, I, I'm uh, Manafort. He uh, might be in a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. He might be in trouble a little bit. Um. That that would not surprise me. And I, you can go back. You could check the tape. Check the tape. You go back like months. I was saying if they're going to have somebody, it's going to be Manafort. That, that's what the report seems to be now. All right. Um, do you think they're going to charge Manafort? Do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, any of it? What, what, what do we have? They're, the reporting is wiretapping of Manafort before and after the election. Charge expected against Manafort. People were in the White House about wiretaps uh, for Mueller. And, well, the, the lawyers thing. Who cares? A bunch of lawyers being... Uh, Showing poor OPSEC. Maintain good OPSEC at all times, my friends. In your private lives, your public lives, your, your work lives, OPSEC. It's essential. All right, we're going to switch gears here, team, this hour and get into a bit of uh, 
Emmys analysis, not who won or who didn't win or any of that stuff. I mean, I, I could I could care less. Although, sure enough, The Handmaiden's Tale, which I tried to watch some of with Miss Molly, and it is thoroughly unwatchable. I mean, it is it is like stinky garbage that somebody has thrown lots of of rotting food into. I mean, it is really really bad. It's just not a good show, and I'm the first to put my politics aside if something is well-written and entertaining and just say, you know what, forget it. But it's just not good. But it won because, you know, Trump is forcing women to be uh, like, I don't even know. I, I can't even remember what it was. They're dressing like Puritans and they're they're just there to make babies or something. I don't know, whatever. Um, but we'll, I want to get into the Emmy politics with you for just a few because there were some interesting moments. And as a preface for all this, Emmy viewership was the lowest it had been in many, many years. So you have this huge event that's supposed to be a big deal, and people are just like, meh, not that excited about it. And I'll get into why. Entertainers more and more are giving up being entertainers. Everyone wants to be a politician now. Everybody wants to be a political pundit, really. They don't want to have to read anything, know anything, do anything, but they want to sound off. Like it's now everyone in Hollywood now is an activist for whatever the cause is and a and a politico or a, a political pundit. They can't just they can't just entertain. They can't just inspire. It's not enough for them to be amusing or provide some form of escape for us. They're paid all this money to do it, at least the famous ones, the ones who are at the more successful end of the spectrum, and they won't. But I, I wanted to get some uh some outside opinion here on the Manafort stuff before we get into all the Emmys nonsense. We got Dexter in Texas listening in the iHeart app. Dex in Tex, what's going on? Hey, Buck, how you doing? Shields high. Shields high. Thank you for calling, sir. Well, I, I have a major compliment to give you. You you are the, the best talk show host on radio. You are always cutting through the Gordian knot with such ease. But I'm going to call you. Ask the question. Is, are they going to go after uh, Paul Manafort? And you answered your question three months ago. You said when they when they established this uh, special counsel that they would have to prosecute somebody to justify their existence. And Manafort is the short straw. Sorry to say it, but that you know life sucks. I look. I agree. I mean, so yeah, <laughs> it sounds like you agree with me, and I agree with you, and that's what's going to happen. I think Manafort Manafort's going down. Yeah, I think poor old Michael Flynn is going to go down too. I think you're right. I think you're right. I, I didn't want to. I didn't. You know, I, uh, it, that hurts because the guy spent decades of honorable service to his country in the military. It just hurts. Uh, but they're going to have their two scalps for their lodgepole, and uh, that's that's what they want. I, I think. Look, I think you're right. Man- Manafort. If I were if I were Buck making Vegas odds on this, I, I'd give you. Two to one at this point that Manafort will get indicted, and I'd probably go coin flip. I'd go fifty fifty on Flynn at this point. That would be my that would be my odds making on it. But I, I think Manafort's. The, I mean, and look, it's this is not like I'm I'm jumping too far from what the uh, consensus opinion would be. I mean, they're already they're reporting that Mueller's guys said, "Yeah, we're coming after you." I that that's. There, sometimes, you know, and this is important, I think, Dex, in, in all of our, may I call you Dex? In all of our conversations, sure. uh, yeah, that there are, area, there are things where the media is going to lie because it's to their advantage to lie, and maybe they think they'll never get caught. But there are also times when I'm going to believe them because there's no advantage to lying, and we'll find out if they're lying. You know what I mean? So if they say Manafort's going to get indicted, 
and he doesn't get indicted, then they look kind of dumb. And we're going to know if he gets indicted or not. So that's why I tend to, you know, it's not like, oh, Manafort met with a shady guy with a Russian accent and promised to do this illegal stuff. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. But I can't verify that one way or the other. So maybe they're lying. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I know exactly what you mean, because let me quote another Buckism. A broken clock is always right twice a day, and so, yeah, they can't lie all the time. Sometimes they stumble across the truth. Yeah, it's, well, that, that is for sure. Dex and Tex, thanks for calling in, man. Shields high. Um, I'm just, I just want to loosen up a little bit. I, I've got a lot of other things, you know, Iran deal stuff to talk about. You're going to have to hang out with me this week a bunch. That's the way this is going to have to go because there's a lot for us to discuss. Um, there's a lot for us to go over, including at the if you stay with me at the end, I will give you an ironclad case that you can make to your boss, or if you are a boss, to your employees, or perhaps if you work from home, to your wife or to your husband, about how naps during the workday are good for you. In fact, naps will make you a better employee. In fact, in fact, naps will up your productivity. You got to stay with me, though, for that. Okay, into the Emmys. Here we go. Get ready. Strap in, my friends. Get ready for it. We got a little bit because because it went it went hyper political, as you know, that as you know, that they they would. And one of my great frustrations with these people, and when I say these people, I'm talking about the Stephen Colbert's and uh, the John Oliver's and uh, all of them. They, they, they're they make so much money and they're not funny and they don't provide what they should. They have decided that it is easy. It's cheap and easy to be a uh, ostensibly to, to pretend to be a comedian when you're really just a pundit who's occasionally funny which is what these guys do now this is now the game just just mock because even if it's not a clever joke or a funny joke if you're mocking trump then people are going to be happy with you and by people i mean democrats and the left and everything else so we've got a we've got a hashtag resistance anti-trump montage for you I suppose I should say, at long last, Mr. President, here is your Emmy. Back in 1980, in that movie, we refused to be controlled by a sexist, egotistical, lying, hypocritical bigot. And in 2017, we still refuse to be controlled by a sexist, egotistical, lying, hypocritical bigot. I want to thank Trump for making black people number one on the most oppressed list. We did have a whole storyline about an impeachment, but we abandoned that because we were worried that someone else might get to it first. And on and on and on. More and more of that. Uh, yeah, even, even Dolly Parton got, it, got in on this. Anyway. And personally, oh, I have been waiting for a 9 to 5 reunion ever since we did the first one. Well. Yeah, well, back in 1980 in oh, that oh, movie. Oh, sorry. You heard, you heard we that. Were, we played this one already. Yeah, so you, you get it. You get it. But there was a particularly telling. So that was that was to be expected. And look, I didn't watch the Emmys. I'm not going to pretend that I watched the Emmys. I just saw the clips and read the after action because I've got other things to do with my time. Uh, but there was one moment that I think really stuck out uh, above all the others when you got a sense as to how deep the the hatred runs for the administration within Hollywood, that it's not enough. And, and I think that this is a change, and this is why I feel like it's okay for us to spend a little bit of time on what is otherwise 
a bunch of uh, Hollywood overpaid Hollywood crybabies congratulating each other on how brave they are. Um, you know, I, I think it's worthwhile to look at the change because it's not now just, oh, you have to support Hillary. You have to be a Democrat. You have to be a leftist. It's now you have to hate the other side. Not not that you disagree with them. Not you know, it's not just dictating your politics. It is mandating hatred. It's mandating animosity. It is saying that you have no choice but to be full of fury and disdain for the other side. And this came up uh, in the following context. You had a moment when Stephen Colbert, it, it looked like there would be a, a spirit of temporary, momentary maybe, a spirit of momentary bipartisan inclusiveness in comedy, which I would love to see all the time. You know, a, a good comedian makes everybody laugh. A, a truly gifted comedian is just funny. It's not pandering through politics. And there was a moment when Stephen Colbert, whom I have to say, the best stuff he ever did was occasionally his impression of O'Reilly as a right wing host on the Colbert Rapport, occasionally was funny uh, because it just crossed over into, you know, I think anybody can laugh at that. I don't think this is laughing at people. Uh, but he invited on, and but I know now Colbert's gone really just crazy anti-Trump, like all like all of them have now, because it's it's required. It's a job thing. I mean, I joke around with my family sometimes. If this whole conservative media thing is just no longer going to be happening for me, I'm going to have to like change my name and become a, I don't know, you know, carpenter slash, and have to learn how to be a carpenter first, which requires skills. I, I don't know. I have to learn something. Because you, you can't work in media as a conservative outside of conservative media because you're going to get blackballed. You're going to be pushed out. It's just they won't. Your screenplays won't get read. Your movies won't get made. Your TV, you, you won't be cast in a show. You, you know, you just and so on and so forth. And not, this isn't, oh, woe is me. But I'm just saying it, it does show you it's not just an echo chamber. There are careers at stake here. So I think there are a lot of people that we all see doing this and, and see the way that they respond. And they're marching to the required tune. They're not necessarily doing it because they believe a lot of them are too frivolous and honestly too dumb to have opinions about this stuff. At least their own opinions. They haven't thought enough about it. So much easier to say Trump is a bigot. Trump is a racist. I love you know Hillary. Blah, blah, blah. It's so much easier. It's job security. It's dollars. It's and this is why it matters so much in the culture war, too. And it's not just Hollywood. What you're seeing last night with the Emmys, what you're seeing uh, across the entertainment industry is now being replicated in every major company across the country. You know, the, the, the policies that used to be or the ideas that used to be limited mostly to the progressive left of, of Hollywood and, and the media. I mean, the news industry is as left wing as as anything you're going to find outside of like a, a Marxist labor union, you know, meeting somewhere. I mean, the news media is like far left and has been for, for some time. It's really just an extension of the academy of college campuses of the uh, ideology of the faculty lounge at Oberlin and Reed and dare I say Amherst, right? All these places, Harvard. Oh, I got it. I got it. People have been putting I beat up on Yale a lot. But it's just because I'm, I'm a one-man band here with, they got to change the name. 
It's all a, it's all a joke until they change the name. Elihu Yale was a slave trader. You want to talk tough about getting rid of Cal uh, getting rid of Calhoun as a name? I want you to get rid of Yale too. They changed another name though recently. I'll, I'll try to get there on the show. I know I'm jumping around a lot. It's one of those days. I'm excited because I'm in our new beautiful freedom hut here. It's very very nice. Uh, okay, the moment that it was going to go bipartisan and it didn't, and you actually got a much more clear window into how deep the hatred runs. And here is that moment. Ratings, you got to have the big numbers. And I certainly hope we achieve that tonight. Unfortunately, at this point, we have no way of knowing how big our audience is. I mean, is there anyone who could say how big the audience is? Sean, do you know? They roll out Sean Spicer on stage at the Emmys. Everyone's very excited. This will be the largest audience to witness an Emmys, period, both in person and around the world. Wow, that really soothes my fragile ego. So you have the former White House press secretary there. Didn't last too long. In a sense, recounting or... uh, replaying for all of us that moment that rather embarrassing moment and i said it at the time as many of you were like yeah that, that that's not gonna that's not gonna fly when he came out and was berating the media over the crowd size at the inauguration which just was it was so petty it was a it was a misstep it was a misstep misstep for the administration and certainly a misstep for sean spicer but he comes out and he's trying to be funny with it and i actually want to say that I mean, they were mocking Trump with this, but at least they brought Sean Spicer out there. Although you have to be very careful as a conservative or forget that. I don't know. If, I don't know if Spicer is a conservative. I don't know enough about it. But as somebody who's been affiliated in any way with the Republican administration. The they love to do this. Uh, they did this to the former Bush press secretary. I forget which one guy kind of always looked a little bit disheveled and sweaty. I can't remember his name, um, but. They uh, they will love you for a moment if you are useful to trash the previous administration. They will shower you with praise if it lets them also simultaneously give you a uh, a megaphone to criticize or to tell them some juicy tidbit about how bad the administration was on some issue or another. And then they'll just dump you like a used Kleenex. I mean, then you're out. You're done. Um, I didn't get to the response to that Spicer moment there. I will get to that because this is where you see what we call blue check Twitter in the media business, which is verified media people. They lost their minds because Sean Spicer came out there. We'll talk a bit about that. And then also naps. Naps. They don't love me like, you know, naps, but like with naps, the yeah, yeah, yeahs. I know it was weak. It was weak, Ty. I agree. All right, we'll be back. Welcome back. Buck Sexton here with you all, team. Uh, please do uh, check out BuckSexton.com. Also, if you are listening to the show, if you like the show and you want to help spread the word, a great way to do that is to either tell people to download the iHeart app and they can listen to the show anytime. Just go download the app and type in Buck Sexton with America Now and you can listen to the show anytime. Uh, or if you're a podcast listener, you can just go on iTunes or if you like podcasts, Buck Sexton with America Now on iTunes. Please do check it out whenever you get the chance. Uh, just, I'm about to return to our little Emmys discussion there, but 
I'm seeing here CBS reporting that Hurricane Maria is strengthening into a Category 5 now and that it is on a path that would mean that it would hit islands that were already hit by Irma and then on to Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic. I mean, look, let's just hope that that this storm, you know, peters out into nothing. I, I don't know what else to say. It just... It feels like after after what happened in after Harvey in Houston and after Irma in the Caribbean and hitting Florida and now an, another one, it feels like it's just it's it's I mean, unfair is a grotesque understatement. I just don't know what to say that this can't be, but apparently it is. So we'll continue to watch that. And if there's uh, more news on it, we will certainly bring it to you here. But. If I may, uh, returning to the Emmys, there was this moment where it seemed like maybe maybe there was a sense of um, not a sense of bipartisanship, but but that everybody could laugh. Right. Sean Spicer came out and blue check Twitter was having none of it. Blue check Twitter refers to those who are verified, which you have to go through. a pro- I am verified. Oh, hello. Hello, ladies. Do you know that uh, I'm verified? That does not. By the way, in a bar that does not get you a phone number, uh, but it's a thing. You know, you can get verified, which is nice. So then, I don't know. I don't know really what it means, other than because a lot of people are verified now. But the journalists that are verified freaked out when Sean Spicer came out on stage. You had uh, and not just journalists, also media figures too. Zach Braff, whom is the guy who did the uh, the Scrubs, right? The show, the comedy show. I've got no beef with Zach Braff. I don't know Zach Braff, but I mean, look, people are allowed their First Amendment rights too. you know, entertainers. I'm not saying that to walk around like a clown and, you know, honk, honk on the noise and everything. I mean, the nose. I mean, you know, people are allowed to, you know, voice their opinions on this stuff, too, even in the media, even as ignorant and uh, self-righteous as most of them are. But Zach Braff tweeted out. I'm not ready to laugh with Sean Spicer. I think he is an evil, opportunistic liar that hurt our country. Okay. John Fuggle sang. Um, who? What's his name? Fugle sang. Sorry. John Fugle sang. Pardon me. Uh, says Spicer wins for outstanding achievement. Uh, this guy is like a, what, is he a comedian? Okay. He's a li- has a liberal talk show. Okay. I've, I've never heard of this guy before, but fair enough. Wins for outstanding achievement and cuteness while admitting you were lying the whole time. Lawrence O'Donnell, here we go. Now we got on the news, people. Emmys help Spicer pump up his lecture fees, which is all that matters to him now. Keith Olbermann, I guess he's still... T- is he a news or comedy? I think he's an unintentional comedy. Shame on the Emmys for the Spicer validation. He is dedicated to demeaning our craft and restricting our freedoms of speech. He should resign, sir. But he's already resigned. But he should resign, Miss Precious Perfect. And company of actors led by the wonderful Claire Foy. But, but most of all, I have to thank Winston Churchill. Uh, in these crazy times, his life, even as an old man, reminds us what courage and leadership in government really looks like. I thank Winston Churchill. I thank the Academy, and I thank all of you. John Lithgow there at the Emmys with a little Churchill shout-out for 
uh, well, this he was up there because of the crown, which I guess I should watch. Although I hear it's a lot of like, oh hello, oh hello, oh oh hello, oh yes, oh oh hello, oh yes, hello in British, hello. Uh, but I might have to uh, check it out nonetheless. Here's what I want to tell you about this. Now, look, that was not a, that was not a hyper political moment. Yeah, he was taking a, he was taking a, a shot at the president. There, I of course I get that, but um. It wasn't, you know, it, if it was like that, if it was a little subtle, I'd be fine with it. And because he's given a shout out to, I mean, across the board, right? I mean, look, Lithgow can say whatever he wants. The guy's a great, he is a great actor. So there's that, right? I mean, he's a, yeah, I mean, Ty is giving me the thumbs up. He's a fantastic actor. We all agree on that. But I think what's so interesting here, and this is what I wanted to share with you before we move on to some other things, is that uh, Churchill was one of the first uh, historical figures that got me interested in uh, biographies as a way to spend the time. In fact, I had a car uh, here in New York City for a while when I was in college. It was um, it was a wood-paneled station wagon, which was which was awesome. It was referred to by when I brought it up on the now unfortunately discontinued but wonderful show on Fox News called Red Eye. They dubbed it the Shaggin Wagon, um, and I, I just it, it, apparently it stuck on social media for a while. But I had to spend all this time in the car in New York City parking because I couldn't afford to park. It's way too expensive. I was a college kid; I had no money. I'm in this wood paneled car which had I don't know eighty or ninety thousand miles on it, which I know is not that much. But you know this this car had seen this car had for years and years taken the whole Sexton crew around. It's like a like a whole sports team, practically. I mean, there's a lot of us. And and I remember parking on the streets, and how would I... This is before smartphones. I mean, I was marching to college in four feet of snow, barefoot, my friends. This is before smartphones and all the cool, you know, iPads. This is like 2000. No, no, no iPads. An iPad was, you know, you, made a, you had a magazine and you flipped through the pages real fast. There were no iPads. Or you could read books which is what I chose to do. And so I, I made a point of reading through a number of uh, Churchill biographies. Actually, he's really the only person that I can honestly say I, I've read numerous volumes about in excess of 700 pages each. Right? I, mean, I just spent a lot of time reading it because I just found him a fascinating figure. My favorite of all time is actually a multi-volume. I know, right? This is exciting. This is This is what... When I'm hanging out, you know, at the bar scene here in New York City, I'm like, hey, ladies, let's talk about. Well, actually, I don't say that ever because Miss Molly and, and I don't really go out anymore. But back in the day, I would have said, uh, you know, hey, guys, um, who wants to talk about the multi-volume William Manchester biography series on Winston Churchill? Personally, I like The Last Lion, which is the first in the Manchester series. But the second book alone has its moments. Uh, the Last Lion is about young Churchill. But this, this is all my way of saying. Churchill's a, a wonderful historical figure, and you will notice at the top of the show, we, have, we will never surrender, right? I mean, we, 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 I've got a Churchill quote at the top of the show, um, at least attributed to Churchill. So uh, that's, that shows the uh, honor and the esteem in which I hold this figure. But I think it's really interesting because here you have, and yeah, what he said is true. Leadership, I get it, right? There's he, he, He's a great leader, and whether you like Trump or not, Churchill was a great leader. But just wait until, I mean, they'll let this go because 
anything that requires more than a Wikipedia search for liberals in the media, they're not going to do. If they figured out what Churchill actually thought about a lot of other stuff, they would feel very differently about him. Uh, they probably wouldn't care that he was opposed to uh, he was opposed to uh, independence for Northern Ireland, and that he was a a uh, well a big opponent of that. As was his father Randolph Churchill, who was not a nice guy, and Winston did not have a close relationship with him. But I'll psychoanalyze Churchill and his father and the early days at Blenheim Palace. Another day, uh, Jenny Churchill, his uh, his his mother was much closer to him. But okay, back to. What I'm talking about here, which is what liberals wouldn't like about Churchill, and that's that he was a huge proponent of empire, in fact. He did not want the British Empire to go away. He was a supporter of it. He did not like Gandhi. He was not a fan of the idea of India becoming independent. He opposed all of that. He was also uh, willing to deploy, as was the case with many others at the time. But you know, go back to the First World War. It's a guy who was okay with the usage of chemical weapons, Gas in warfare. I mean, there's a lot. And I'm not saying that I'm anti-Churchill. I'm just saying if liberals find this stuff out, oh, good heavens. Never mind when they get to Churchill's positions on intersectionality and transgenderism. And then they're really, you know, all the Churchill bust, they're going to pulverize it. It's going to be toast. But for now, they could pretend to like Churchill because, one, he's foreign. So they like that. Right. It's not an American politician. So automatically he gets like a thumbs up. Um, and they don't know enough to know that he was pro-imperialism, pro-colonialism, pro-British Empire, uh, really all the way through. It's certainly through the Second World War. Um, and if they figure that out, I think they would change their mind about him a little bit. But I think he's awesome. I mean, if, if somebody said, who's the historical figure you've spent the most time reading about and thinking about it, it would probably be Churchill. Although I'm a little rusty now. This was years ago, like I said, back in college. Man, moving your car around the streets of New York City was I would say it's a blood sport in the sense that I actually saw people get into physical altercations over parking spots. It, it happens here in the city. Yeah. Because you got to move your car at a certain time. Parking garages in New York, at least in Manhattan, you're like four or five hundred bucks a month. Easily. Easily. Sometimes more. So, yeah, it was rough. But I had my Churchill biographies to keep me company. The Manchester, The Last Lion, I really, really recommend you. I think it's uh, it's fantastic. I also read the Roy Jenkins uh, Churchill biography, yeah, it was all right. I mean, I think he was a member of Parliament, so he gets really into the political stuff. But okay, I'm, I'm, I can, I'm going to hear you all passing out, and your heads uh, hitting the dashboard or the desk or whatever across the country if I don't change it from Churchill. My friend Jedediah Bila. Some of you may not know that we're friends. Uh, she's a, a great lady. We worked together a lot back in the old days at the Blaze, and I thought this was very interesting. Bringing it all together here. This is on. <laughs> We're getting page six into the show today. A little un- a little unusual for me, but nonetheless, here we are. Did Jedediah, this is the New York Post, did Jedediah Bila, I said her name wrong for a long time, even though we're closer, I used to say Bila, but it's Bila. Uh, did Jedediah Bila exit the view because of Hillary Clinton? Now, I'll just skip to the so what here. Uh, the view had on Hillary Clinton talk about her book. And like so many shows, The View is supposed to be just a discussion show where they talk about politics, but they talk about a lot else. But any show where that's the case, pretty much, if it's on a network, at least, it's a liberal show. I mean, that you can they can talk about other stuff. And I guess there's not really much in the way of politics of like a you know, of, of a, a summer prosciutto salad or something. Right. So 
and this is true on the on the Today Show and these other morning shows as well. It's not all political, but when it goes political, it's liberal. You can count on that. And the View has always had, and I'm not going to pretend that I've watched a lot of it. Do I? Do Ty and Amy the View? You guys watch the View? No, no, man. I'm, it's here and there. Yeah. Uh, the 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 View is a show that, that delves into politics more than some of the more than some of the other uh, day daytime stuff, I guess, but. Here's the problem. Hillary Clinton came on for an interview and Jedediah asked her the following question, quote, to be fair, it hasn't just been Republicans who have been taking issue with the writing of this book. Some Democrats have also come out, uh, former campaign surrogates of yours, former fundraisers, and said this book puts us in the past and we want to move forward. And this places us in the past. How do you respond to Democrats also coming out in criticism of you writing this? End quote. Now, Bila, her representative, uh, I haven't spoken to her, and, and she's not publicly commenting on this, and, and maybe this is all just people surmising. But it does seem a little suspicious. It seems to me a little, a little suspicious that she was supposed to be part of this uh, show, The View, for the next season, and now very suddenly she's, she's out. She is, quote, pursuing other opportunities. Right after Hillary Clinton... Uh, comes on and Jedediah has the temerity to ask Hillary a real question. When you see the way journalists look at Hillary when they sit down with her and th- they have a a warmth and a deference, it- it's like they're sitting across from the Dalai Lama or the Pope. I mean, they really think Hillary, and she's so warm. I mean, they really think that she's great. You know, they just can't help themselves. And I would be a little I'd feel a little more comfortable with the whole situation if they were like Hillary's the best we got and she's a means to an end. But that's actually not their opinion of her. Their opinion of her is that she really was fantastic. She was as she would have been as great for America as Obama was for America in the eyes of journalists. I think they I think a lot of them believe that I was going to say deep down, but they don't really hide it. And they're just like, can't you see the warmth? Can't you see the. The charisma and the charm and the, yes, it just exudes from me. I mean, they really like her. But Jedediah asked a real question. And the report here in page six, which I understand is a gossip column, but a lot of gossip columns have a lot of truth in them, uh, is that she got in trouble with the producers of the show afterwards, and then who knows what happened after that. I can tell you that this happens in places. In so-called news networks, when you are a conservative... And you uh, you cause a problem for them. You find out that there are guys and gals that to borrow from the movie The Departed that you can't hit. Now, of course, you're not allowed to actually hit people. But I mean, there are, there are people that you have to be very gentle with and you have to play the game and you have to show them the respect that that organization wants to show them. Even if you're in a political conversation, I don't mean respect is and be polite. I mean, deference. I mean, you have to bow also. I learned this at CNN. I got pulled aside and got a talking to once. And I am, I was too polite most of the time. That's just in my nature. Do I think that maybe Jen and I got into a, a situation and it just was too much and she's sick of it? Probably. If she were to tell me one or the other, I couldn't tell you because we're friends and I don't talk about stuff that I'm not supposed to talk about that friends tell me. But that would be my guess based on the page six situation that I'm seeing here. So yet again, an- another conservative. 
supposed to be the conservative voice there, but you can only be a conservative until you annoy Hillary, and then it's too far. That's what they really want you to know. You can only be a conservative until you can't. And then you're gone. And then you're gone. This is true across the board. All right, naps. I promise you nap talk. I know, it's perfect, right? Especially if you're listening this late in the evening or whatever. It's going to be great. I'm going to tell you about how naps are good for you. In fact, you should sit down. You should walk up to your boss. And when he's like, what would you say you do here? You're like, um, I nap sometimes, obviously, because it's good for productivity and your bottom line, boss. Oh, what's up? I will arm you with the facts after this break. Okay, so I, I said we'd talk about naps. Buck is back with you here, and, and we will. Um, I also want to tell you some things that are already on the list for tomorrow. We can already start. We can make a list and check it twice. Uh, we're going to talk about Antifa. We're going to talk uh, tomorrow. Uh, we're going to talk about the violent protests in St. Louis. I think they're in their fourth day now. So, and, and what Antifa's role is in all of this and the connections. And Antifa's not new, as I've been telling you. Antifa, anti-cop stuff. Uh, with people using black block tactics has been around a long time, all of that. And and with naps closing out the show, <laughs> I'm really promoting naps today, Buck. I want to tell you also about, I'm, I'm still trying to, uh, I'm still trying to adopt a shelter dog. That's why dogs are on my mind. I'm, I'm working on that over the weekend, talking to Molly about, you know, different dog breeds we'd be thinking about. So, um, I've, I want to, I've seen some really cute little guys, little beagle mix. Anyway, uh, two things, uh, one thing before we talk naps, Ty came in uh, or talked to me about this in the break, and, and it was that Hillary may be appearing on The View more. And here's my thought, and this has been reported as well, but Ty rem- reminded me of this. If Hillary is going to be a repeat guest on The View, maybe the plan is to leverage Clinton as a political, I mean, as a uh, media figure, which Hillary would like. She needs the attention. She, she can't just be away from the spotlight. Her political brand is gone. She, she's not going to run for office again. There's nothing for her really to run for. It's just not going to happen, at least not that I can see. But you currently have a media figure as president of the United States. Maybe you could have a former secretary of state as a media figure. I mean, sitting on panels, talking to people, to, that will become her role. And, you know, the, the pseudo gravitas that she will bring to all those discussions as a Democrat propagandist. So maybe this is all, maybe this is, I've been thinking, what's Hillary's next act? Maybe it's as a media figure. Oh, I don't think that's beyond, you know, show up, oh, it, you know, all the different networks, they'll treat her like royalty, and, you know, she gets to be the center of attention again. Okay, so there's that. That's a possibility. Just uh, put a pin in that one. We'll get back to it uh, another day, another time, perhaps. Um, here's the New York Times, which occasionally does some really great stuff, usually having to do with, how to make the best uh, mach- how to make the best foam on your matcha latte i mean you know don't hate until you try it right matcha is actually pretty good and also things you know lifestyle stuff culinary i look I- i've got no politics when it comes to if they're going to tell me the best recipe for uh slow cooked tarragon chicken in a light cream sauce which maybe i was looking at over the weekend um i'm going to read it on the new york times that's fine but naps, I'm a big believer in naps. I think they're fantastic. And the good news is that science, science, hashtag science agrees with me. So listen up, everybody. Wake up from your nap if you're taking one right now. Here's the New York Times on this. Take naps at work. Apologize to no one. The author writes, in the past two weeks, I've taken three naps at work, a total of an hour or so of shut eye while on the clock. 
and I have no shame or uncertainty about doing it. I couldn't feel better about it, and my productivity reflects it, too. Sleeping on the job is one of those workplace taboos like leaving your desk or taking lunch or uh, for lunch or taking an afternoon walk that we're taught to look down on. If someone naps at 2 p.m. while the rest of us furiously write memos and respond to emails, surely it must mean they're slacking off, or so the assumption goes. Restfulness and recharging can take a backseat to the perception and appearance of productivity. It's easier to stay on the virtual hamster wheel by immediately responding to every email. But in an, uh, in an ideal world, we'd solve this problem by unplugging early and getting a good night's sleep. However, that's not possible. Here's what this st- a study published in Nature Neuroscience says. That subjects tested uh, for their perceptual por- uh, performance were tested four times throughout the day. But subjects, and, and it constantly deteriorated. But subjects who took a 30-minute nap between tests stopped the deterioration performance and those who took a 60-minute nap even reversed, reversed it. Naps had the same magnitude of benefits as a full night's sleep if they had a specific quality of nap. Here's what I'm trying to tell you, everybody. You get the right kind of nap in, it's going to change your whole day, going to change your world. Look at this piece in the New York Times. I'll post it on BuckSexton.com. We'll put it up there for you. Naps are good for you. Naps make you a better, a better, more productive employee. No more of this anti-nap nonsense from your boss. We're going to be snoozing, my friends. All right, much more coming up tomorrow. Until then, Shields High.